it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on a Monday morning on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. It's off-season edition review time, Sam. We did this last year. Going team by team, all 32 teams, starting with the NFC here today and breaking down the best or most important or whoever you want to break it down, your biggest off-season edition for each team. And what ridiculous order have you decided to do this in? We had a request, and I definitely overreact to one-off requests. Yep. We had a request, I think it was from a Bills fan, uh-huh. who said, don't start with my Bills every time. I want some, uh, I want some anticipation. Yeah. And I tend to start with the AFC. Okay. So the Bills are going to be last in this two-show two series exercise. So it's going to be reverse alphabetical order-ish. I th- I'm, it's close. You mean ish. So I did some copying and pasting, and I may, you know, there there might be a couple teams out of order. What did you copy and paste from? From an alphabetical list, and then yeah. I reversed. It. So don't don't worry about it. So we're going to reverse <laughs> alphabetical order ish from uh, starting with the NFC. Okay, that sound good? Sure, it does. Well, before we start, though, as a parent, your top priority is always your children's well-being. You want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive, both now and in the future, with term life insurance from Fabric by Gerber Life. Help protect your family so their future is secure, no matter what happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy quickly, often in less than 10 minutes. Fabric was part, has partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years. They also have over 1,600 five-star reviews over at TrustPilot.com. Take steps to help protect your family today. With Fabric by Gerber Life, take the 60-second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using Fabric Technologies, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. All right, Sam, you ready to get into this? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Starting with the Washington Commanders. We did this last year, by the way, but the, most, the biggest off-season edition. This can be anything. 
this could be a new uh, popcorn vendor if you feel that the that offseason edition was most valuable. Seems unlikely. It seems unlikely, but I'm just saying it could be a player, could be a coach, could be addition by subtraction, could be a new owner. So Washington's an interesting one to start with. I see. Because it's probably new owner Josh Harris once the deal's finalized. I was going to say, is he the new owner yet? It'll be finalized. All right. Um, I think we're just dotting I's and crossing T's here at this point. Okay. But we'll see. Go on then. Make your case for the new owner. Look, I, do you, hang on. Well, let's start with, do you know a single damn thing about the new owner? No, but it's got to be better. <laughs> it has to be better. There's at least – is so biggest doesn't mean the, the biggest upgrade. Okay. Right? It just means – to me, it means the one that's going to impact the team the right. most. We're just establishing that your basis for this is entirely the Urban Meyer theory of anything is a significant move in the right direction. Yes. Gotcha. I'm just saying, look, we've all, we've all had bosses, most of us, right? Most of us have had bosses listening in the crowd and listening and watching and viewers. All the, Most of us have had bosses, and we know that the impact that bosses have, we, 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 we make a lot of uh, – we, we talk a lot about, okay, all 32 teams, here's the moves we would make, here's this, here's that. But we also know that not every team is working from the same baseline, right? You've got an owner who they, – they hire the decision makers and they, they hire the coaches, and it all starts from the top. So, look, whether it's a positive change or not, it's the biggest offseason addition, a new owner. It doesn't mean – and this, this would be the case pretty much for any team. I believe, but with Washington in particular, who has had a history of not winning, uh, whatever you want to say about the environment there for the last 20 years, it started early where Daniel Snyder was just, you know, paying crazy money for Albert Hainsworth and all that stuff. He was very hands-on as an owner with, with very little success in Washington. So any type of new ownership is going to be the biggest offseason addition in Washington. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate it. Um, I think definitely in terms of, you know, the Urban Meyer theory of it would struggle to be much worse, you know? Yeah. You're almost certainly moving in the right direction by going to literally anybody at that point on. So, yeah, I can buy that. I think their biggest, uh, most important offseason addition is Eric Bieniemy as offensive yeah. coordinator for a couple of reasons. It's big for them because, in theory, if Eric Bieniemy is everything that his supporters say he is, he's exactly the guy you want trying to shepherd the development of a guy like Sam Howell and, you know, realizing his potential as, you know, an unusually, an unusual skill set of a quarterback. So Sam Howell is not exactly a prototypical, exactly as you draw it up type of skill set. He's got some quirks. And if you're, you're going to tailor an offense to that, I think Eric Bieniemy is a perfect guy to do that. And then it's also a huge move for Eric Bieniemy, I think, because Clearly, he determined that he was never going to get the credit for what was happening in Kansas City, whether or not he's 100% responsible, 0% responsible, or somewhere in the middle. All the credit is going to, it's Mahomes, it's Andy Reid, it's anybody but the enemy. Um, so for him, he had to go somewhere else and prove that he can do it outside of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And now he's gone to Washington where, like, that's very outside of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes because, like we just said, your quarterback is Sam Howell. Or Jacoby Brissett, if you want to take a swing at that one. So it's a it's a hell of a grading curve that Bieniemy is about to be putting himself on. So I think it's a huge move for Washington and for Bieniemy. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good shout there for uh, for Bieniemy and, and working it both ways. I and mean, that's the beauty of this exercise here, Sam. We could twist it any way we want. Mm -hmm. We could create whatever criteria we're looking for. So uh, I'm going ownership for the Washington Commanders. Next up on this reverse alphabetical list in the NFC. 
the Tampa Bay Bucks. Do you have one? Do you want me to start with you here, or do you want me to kick things off? I mean, let you kick things off until I figure out who on earth Tampa Bay could possibly have. That's why I didn't have. want to put you on the spot. Yeah. I'll go Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator okay. in Tampa Bay. So I, you could easily make the case that it's Baker Mayfield, just be, but it's like God. in the short term, any quarterback is going to be the biggest addition if, if he's going to start. But for the long-term prospects of the Tampa Bay Bucks franchise, I don't know that the Baker Mayfield – bridge quarterback season is mm -hmm. is all that important unless Baker Mayfield becomes 2018 Baker and he becomes the guy right moving forward but Canales come, taking over for for Byron Leftwich uh, fresh ideas you know young energy all that stuff. You know, he's just he's different coming over from Seattle he was the QB coach for Geno Smith last year and the Tampa Bay offense became stagnant last year with talent right the offensive line wasn't great they couldn't run the ball at all but with with Tom Brady under center and still a pretty good group of receivers. The offense became stagnant last year. Canales comes in. He has a chance to, to still work with really good receivers, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Russell Gage, to get the most out of that group and just re-energize the Bucks' offense. Now, all that said, we might not see much of it this year with if Baker Mayfield doesn't play well or if Kyle Trask doesn't you know, take a massive step forward and become the starter. But I think Canales, if he becomes the offensive coordinator as part of this, you know, competitive rebuild, whatever you want to call it in Tampa Bay, I think he's a he's a huge addition. Yeah, I would argue a similar uh, logic to the Washington ownership theory of couldn't get much worse than Byron Leftwich had been the last couple of years. This guy steadfastly refusing to accept any form of like modernity in life. You know, football exists the way it did in 1978, and I'll hear no other opinions. Uh, so anything beyond that is probably a good thing. I would argue Kalijah Kansi is probably their biggest addition. I like uh, it. First round pick, number 19 overall. And Kansi was uh, one of these polarizing draft picks. I think this year had a lot of them. But in this season of or this draft of wild physical outliers, you know, Kalijah Kansi basically looks like Aaron Donald physically. He's almost exactly the same height, weight, uh, speed, get off, all that kind of thing. And it was a hell of a lot closer to Aaron Donald at college than most of the other guys that looked like Aaron Donald from a physical standpoint. So if he ends up being clearly not Aaron Donald, but anywhere close to that kind of ability, he's an impact first rounder and a steal at number 19 overall. Um, if, however, his lack of size, lack of you know short, stumpy arms, et cetera, becomes the kind of problem that maybe it's been for other undersized interior defensive linemen, then he won't be. Yeah, I mean, in part, he's important. Can't see just because the defensive line needs an overhaul. They need an influx of young players and impact players, and Kalijah Kansi has the ability to be that guy. All right, let's go to the Seattle Seahawks. Here, reverse alphabetical order for the NFC. Most important addition, I'm going with their first-round pick. Devin Witherspoon, their first first-round pick, number five overall. Devin Witherspoon, I mean, to me, it's between him uh, or Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're, they're two first-rounders. I like the fact that Seattle attacked the pass game with their first two uh, first-rounders. They got a, a third wide receiver in Smith and Jigba, but Devin Witherspoon being the starting corner now, presumably opposite Tariq Woolen, solidifies a defense that's been up and down these last couple of years and gives them massive potential on that side of the ball. 
Yeah, I think it probably has to be one of those two guys. They didn't do an awful lot in um, free agency. I guess, you know, you would be stretching even our tenuous definitions to say that Geno Smith is an addition in that they re-signed him. No, I don't think he counts. Yeah. I wouldn't count that. So then it's they didn't do an awful lot in free agency in terms of real impact moves. It really is going to be the draft. And, you know, you're looking at basically their, their four picks in the top two rounds. So Witherspoon, Smith and Jigba, Derek Hall, the edge rusher from Auburn, or Zach Charbonnet, the running back um, in the second round, and it's probably Witherspoon of that group. So you agree? Yeah. We're both going with Witherspoon. Pretty boring. Yeah, kind Seattle of. Seattle answer. But, you know, if Witherspoon is as good as he looked last season, that, I mean, that's transformative to any defense, and it propels this one, continues to propel it. Last year's draft class propelled it a lot um, into being way better than we expected it to be. If Witherspoon ends up hitting the ground running in the same kind of way, that, that could be huge. All right, we're on to the San Francisco 49ers. Best, biggest offseason addition for the Niners. I was going with Javon Hargrave, which is not a crazy one. It's the, one of the highest-priced free agents, interior pass rusher, already a pretty loaded pass rush in San Francisco. You add Hargrave to, to Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and some of the depth that they have there rushing the quarterback. Niners got better up front. Yeah, they've had some turnover there, but Hargrave gives them a killer third down package. So I'm going with Hargrave just because of that pass rush ability, 90-plus pass rush grade last year for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, it basically has to be. <laughs> Theirs was the, the draft that was universally criticized the most. They didn't pick before the third round anyway, so it was probably always going to be a struggle to get a real impact player from that group. Um, and even with the group that they had, we didn't exactly like the players that they added. So then you looked at free agency, and they added some players in free agency, but by far and away the biggest swing they made was Javon Hargrave. Yeah, there were, there were a couple teams where it's really difficult to pick a biggest addition. We'll get to the Rams soon. It's like, what did they add anything you know, for the Rams? Um, but the Niners were also one of those teams that come out of last year as one of the better rosters, and they've got a few holes that weren't necessarily patched up. They might have – most teams come into the offseason with some question marks. They patch them up, and then it's like, all right, we'll, we'll be okay. The Niners didn't even address really right tackle or, or second corner, but they still had – you know, one of the biggest off-season splashes in Javon, Javon Hargrave. The only other, like, argument I think you could make is Steve Wilkes, a defensive coordinator, to yeah. take over from um, – from D'Amico. D'Amico Ryans. Uh, Wilkes, obviously, was the interim head coach in Carolina, did really well as an interim head coach. Like, got a lot of people saying he should have been the head coach that they hired or a head coach somewhere ends up uh, resign or ends up signing with the 49ers to be their defensive coordinator and take over one of the best defenses in the NFL. That's a pretty important move. Um, I don't know if it's as big as Javon Hargrave. All right, we're on to the Philadelphia Eagles. Biggest offseason addition for the Eagles. I'm going to go Sean Desai as defensive coordinator with uh, Jonathan Gannon moving on. You've got a, you know, you're trying to you're trying to take a defensive scheme that's come into its own the last couple of years and just kind of keep it going. And I know they, they had turnover at other points in the roster. They brought a lot of guys back, but decide keeping it together on that side of the ball, pretty crucial here for the Eagles. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, Jalen Carter, though, I think is the obvious answer. I mean, Jalen Carter is the player that was, I think, fairly universally regarded as all things being equal. He is the best football player in this draft. And the Eagles got him at number nine overall and added him to a defensive line that's already loaded, that's already stacked, that can 
leave him as a rotational guy that doesn't need him to come in and play 800 snaps in a season. They can keep him at 350, scale him up maybe to 500, whatever. They can keep the workload low and have a good environment to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. If he hits, then the best team in the NFC got the best player in the draft nine picks into it. No, that's a good point. I mean, Carter, you laid it out pretty well. The fact that the Eagles, they're the team that lost Javon Hargrave. And I'm not saying Carter is going to be better than him right away, but within the next two years, is he going to be a better all-around player than Javon Hargrave? Could be. I don't know if he'll rush the passer at a 90-plus level right off the bat, but probably be a better run defender early in his career compared to Hargrave. The question will be the, the same thing Jordan Davis had last year's Georgia defensive tackle. We're we going to see Carter for more than 450, 500 snaps in a given season. But I don't know. There's nothing about Carter's on-field game that says he's not going to be a seven to 800 snap Fletcher Cox type coming, coming out. And I thought Carter had some Fletcher Cox to his game. You add him to that mix with the, the nice mix of youth and veterans there in Philadelphia. So, yeah, Jalen Carter makes a lot of sense for the Eagles. The player you benched in fantasy football just went off with best ball on DraftKings. You get the best of your team all season long. This year, best ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to, Dra- to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million Best Ball Tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued is 10 DK dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends July 14th, 2023. All right, who's next on my list here? New York Giants. Biggest offseason edition. I'm going Darren Waller at tight end. And so, you know, it's usually not going to be a tight end for most teams here. But I, I think there's there's four or five tight ends who are game changers offensively. And a healthy Darren Waller is one of them. I think, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, 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 prime Rob Gronkowski, uh, Mark Andrews. You know, Mark Andrews has proven to be, for the Ravens, kind of QB proof. Doesn't matter who they throw out there, he's going to produce. I think Darren Waller, when healthy, is one of those guys. And a Giants team that was didn't have any big-name receivers, didn't have any big-name pass catchers last year, and still had a good offense. I think Waller really has an opportunity to take them to the next level as you're trying to maximize the Daniel Jones contract and all that stuff. So I'm going Darren Waller here for the Giants. Yeah, and a pretty important addition in an offseason that didn't have a clear pathway through necessarily to a huge upgrade at wide receiver. You know, they their wide receiver room is, is a bit of a mess. They could really have used a, a true number one. They probably weren't going to get into the OBJ mess, even if he is a true number one at this point. DeAndre Hopkins is old and fading and may no longer be a true number one. Like, that guy might not have existed outside of the theoretical trades that we've been talking about all offseason that haven't manifested, therefore might not be options. So Darren Waller is a pretty good alternative to that. Well, if we can't massively upgrade at wide receiver, let's try and massively upgrade and get our number one wide, number one receiver at tight end. So I think you can definitely make that case. 
Um, I think they didn't. That would be the one sort of free agent move, even if it was a trade. Uh, in terms of draft options, the other one to me, I think, would be John Michael Schmitz. Yeah, that's a good one. Who, look, that offensive line was a disaster last season. It was Andrew Thomas and four guys that were problems. Um, if they can anchor the middle of it with John Michael Schmitz, Mark Lewinsky, we know, can play okay at guard. Evan Neal is a big question how much better he can get in year two. So if John Michael Schmitz can kind of nail down the middle of that offensive line, that could make a huge difference to the offense overall. Yeah, I think both of their top two picks, Deontay Banks at corner, John Michael Schmitz, just because I think they're slated to start, right? They've, right. they've got a path to the field. It makes it difficult with some other teams um, choosing their biggest offseason addition. But the Giants, it's interesting to me that the Giants have a couple for us to choose from because, as we've said, made the playoffs, won a bunch of games, had a lot, a lot of work to do on the roster, probably got a starting center in the draft, probably got a starting corner with their first rounder, Deontay Banks, and then Darren Waller, to me, is the biggest impact player. But you choose any one of those three. There are three starters that can make a huge impact here in year one. So um, I'm going with Waller, though, for the Giants. New Orleans Saints up next. Going Derek Carr, obviously. Mm. Has to be Derek Carr, right? Yes, probably does. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's Carr going to be? We get more Derek Carr data points here. <laughs> Once you get the, the upper mid-tier quarterback that Derek Carr has been throughout his career— the quarter, what's an upper, upper mid-tier quarterback? The guy that in, in all your preseason rankings is between 12 and 18, you know, uh, probably 12, 13 in your off-season QB rankings. And, but you just don't know if they're going to play at that level. What, what, is the, what is the 12th best quarterback in the league going to bring? Sometimes they bring top eight play. Sometimes it's top 10. Sometimes it's 20th. Derek Carr was not very good last year. Had his worst season since his rookie year. Uh, the Saints had Andy Dalton last year who threw the ball pretty well. You know, the, the PFF grade is like, did you, did you throw the ball accurately? Did you, did you hit your throws? Andy Dalton did fairly well at all of that, but he didn't do a great job of leading the team to points. You know, so there's, there's a, you know, the QB's job is to put points on the board. I thought Dalton did his part for the most part, but things fell apart. He's not going to carry the squad, right? Derek Carr has shown at times during this career he could be the guy, right? He's, he's the guy that Raiders, some Raiders fans are like, no, Derek Carr is awesome. You guys are underrating him. And the same guy that Raiders fans are like, man, we could move on from Derek Carr. So it's what the Saints are getting. Which version, what are Saints fans going to be saying halfway through this season? Is it, yeah, Derek Carr's, you know, Drew Brees light? Or is it a, just another Andy Dalton that we just can't win with? So Derek Carr's the most important person in New Orleans. Yeah, and you know, it, it did make sense for the Saints in a way that it didn't for some other teams, like the Jets, right? It, if the Jets' plan A had been secure Derek Carr, you're like, I mean, even in the division, that might not do any good, let alone the conference where everybody in the AFC is loaded. For the Saints, you know, they, they become the favorites in the division, and once you're in the playoffs in the NFC, it's an awful lot weaker, and you can go on a run. You're not that far from you know, a surprise Super Bowl, and then all you need is one performance, right? So it does kind of make sense for the Saints. As much as Derek Carr is one of these quarterbacks now that almost sort of embodies, like, futility, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, these guys in this mid-tier where you're like, you just, you're not good enough to actually do what's required without the stars aligning in a way that's just improbable. Um, as much as that's true, like, the pathway for the Saints is easy enough that it actually does make a lot of sense. It's a good point by you, too, right? It's not just, hey, they've got this new quarterback, but 
quite literally, they probably have the best quarterback in the division right now yeah. as long as either Bryce Young. like who is he, He's competing with Bryce Young, number one overall pick, second year of Desmond Ritter, and Baker Mayfield slash Kyle Trask. The Saints might have the two best quarterbacks in the division. With Taysom. No, with uh, Jameis. Maybe oh, they have Jim. the three. <laughs> might, have, might have the three best. So, yeah, Derek Carr, I think the clear option in Nolens. All right, Minnesota Vikings are up next. Do you have a do you have an answer for the Vikings, Handy? Because mm. I'm I'm going Brian Flores, defense coordinator. Yeah, I mean for all for all the turnover Minnesota have, they're in this uh, another competitive rebuild type of situation where big name players are out, younger players are going to be expected to step up, but no matter what, they have to be better on defense. Brian Flores comes in with a. I don't want to say a polar opposite defense from their zone-heavy scheme, but you know Flores with a history of playing a ton of man coverage. There's not a ton of those man-heavy schemes around the NFL anymore. Uh, we've seen research that shows that just changing it up schematically on the defensive side of the ball can have a big impact in year one. You know, just just mixing it up, just getting away from what you did. Uh, and there's the confounding variables here are when you're really bad. Sometimes just doing something different will right. make it will get you to creep back toward average. So just Flores coming in, playing man coverage, being a little bit more aggressive from a blitz perspective might be just enough for the Vikings to get back to the middle of the pack defensively. And they should have a decent offense with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. So Flores overhauling this defense, most important offseason addition in Minnesota. Yeah, I think it probably is. That's a bigger move than any of the draft picks, than you know Jordan Addison coming in, which is a big move, than any of the free agent moves. Marcus Davenport could make an impact, but even he is having to offset you know what they've already lost since Darius Smith, and even they could trade away Danell Hunter still. Who knows? That's been talked about. So I, yeah, you're right. Um, I think Flores coming in is the biggest the biggest move that they've made. We're going reverse alphabetical order in the NFC. Some Chiefs fans looking for what? Of course we are. Yeah, why wouldn't we? You, uh, we, I texted you this last night, but you, remember you saw the video of the security guy taking out the the golf yeah. the the pro who was a friend of the guy that won celebrating, right? Yes. There's a new camera angle of it that's one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen. It's taken from like behind the guy that's running on with the champagne, right? So you see the security guard behind traffic right you see him read it read the defense find the guy <laughs> identify it then swing around get skinny through the hole and then perfect fundamental technique head on the right side shoulder drives him and keeps the feet moving it's like it's the best linebacker teaching tape you're going to see this year unbelievable as, as linebacker play around the nfl and around all of professional football might be uh you know a little uneven in recent years. Tyler. Let's see if you can fire it up on the yeah, screen. We need, we truly, need this teacher. CFL had their opening weekend yeah. this weekend. It was great timing. This, this Canadian Open and this dude. Get him into the CFL. Right. Which, by the way, PFF, we're doing it. We're partnering with the CFL right now. Uh -huh. If you're looking, if you are yearning for CFL content, it is over at pff.com. There's a roster spot for this guy. Absolutely. I, I get him out there. I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched a lot of CFL lately, but I – there's got to be a space for this dude. While we're, while we're on the CFL tangent, I just want to highlight for our really long-time listeners, mm. the very first season that we did, college football grading, 2014. Yeah. It was the 2015 draft. And the great Gary Peters. Grabby Peters. The great Gary Peters yeah. out of Clemson. Apparently, they can grab at the CFL level. 
I am finally justified, Sam. Gary Peters with one year of grading under his belt where I said, this is, this is the guy. NFL, got to keep an eye on Gary Peters. Get, yeah. him, get him on your roster. And he goes undrafted. And he goes right to the CFL. Well, he's an 80-plus player in the CFL. Number four <laughs> corner last year when we regraded the CFL. Great weekend this past weekend. Gary Peters. Get him back out there. All right, here's the view. So that's the end of it. Oh, here we go. Starting again. Look at him there in the background. He sees it. Sees it. Gets dip. Wow. Around. Look at and boom. Tight. Drive the hip. form. Who's filming this? I don't know, but that's, that's the best linebacker teaching tape you're going to find. That, that guy diff. did a job. Look at him. This is like parents when your kids are trying to like run into the street. I got <laughs> he to, you. He had to navigate past an umbrella, like swipes it to the side. Champagne. Hand just usage. Flying everywhere. Everything. That, that, that play had everything by that guy. If you're listening, you got to go check out the YouTube. Or my tweet. So you can see I tweeted this. it. Oh, you tweeted it out. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you. All right, we're on to the Los Angeles Rams. Most important offseason edition. Oh, man. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't really have an answer. They didn't do a whole lot. It's got to be a draft pick, right? Yeah, so here's what I'm going to go with. I'm going with the training camp hype guys and guys that I liked. Puka Nakua. Gotcha. Wide receiver out of BYU. Their fifth rounder, one of their fifth rounders. Puka and Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. The buzz is through the roof. And because the buzz is through the roof, I feel like I can also, you know, mention that QB coach Zach Robinson made it a point to highlight both guys in a text to me. Yeah. Puka Nakua looking great. Zach really likes Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett is tearing it up. So, you know, it's not that he's going to – it's not that he's going to take over. I don't think it's likely, but I said this before pre-draft that, you know, we, there, is, there was the big four quarterbacks, right? Three of which went in the first round. Will Levis went just at the top of the second. There were people that liked Hendon Hooker, and he's maybe the, next, the other guy that you thought had sort of starting tools and had all the pieces there. We just didn't really know if he could play quarterback because he played in this ridiculous Tennessee offense that doesn't play NFL concepts. Let's put it that way. Um, and then you had the next group, which was basically the rest of the draft, which was the Jake Hayners, the Clayton Tunes, Stetson Bennett, whoever you wanted to put in that category. Um, and realistically, none of them really had starting caliber tools, which is why they weren't in that first group. But if you were going to tell me that, like, fast forward five years, one of those guys is like a high-end NFL starter, it, Stetson Bennett would be the guy that I would – Yes, it wouldn't shock me if he was that guy. Now, do I think it's going to happen? No, that's why, you know, he went where he went. But it definitely wouldn't shock me if, like, a time traveler came back from five years' time and was like, Stetson Bennett made a Pro Bowl last year. You're like, yeah, okay, I can see that. It makes sense. He's got that moxie. You know, if, somebody, if anyone is going to go out there and overachieve at the NFL level in addition to the college level, it would be him. Like, he has a lot of the reasons that we liked Baker Mayfield initially. You know, that yep. sort of swag that when it works, you're like, oh, that's, that's the reason for his success. Good swag. Like, the difference – Joe Burrow has a lot of the same kind of swag as Baker Mayfield, but Burrow is really good, so everyone thinks, it is, thinks of it as a positive thing, whereas Baker Mayfield, it's like, you know, why are you getting involved in Twitter wars with idiots or whatever? Like, it, it's the reason you're failing. Go out there and practice accuracy or whatever. But I'm just saying – as much as I don't think it's likely, it wouldn't shock me if Stetson Bennett ended up being a starting quarterback down the line. Yeah, I mean, we're just having fun with this because there were not a whole lot of additions. Yeah, I hear you, Walt. Steve Avila 
coming in there. Steve uh, Avila's big because that offensive line determines how good the offense is going to be. Yeah, and look, we weren't as high on Avila as you know people in the chat or uh, others around the league maybe. Uh, the guy graded in the low 70s in the Big 12. There's not a great track record for, for those guys at the, the other, next level, but he's going to step in and start, so that's important. Right. The other sneaky one is Trey Tomlinson in the sixth round. That guy could start for them or start slash man the slot, which is the same thing. Um, and he could be really good at it. And yeah. by the way, we're only just assuming that he's a slot corner because of the size of him, but he played outside in college and was good at it. So another guy that's been overachieving <laughs> relative to you know, physical gifts and tools and all that kind of thing, there's no reason he can't do that at the next level. Well done. We figured it out for the Rams. All right, we're on to the Green Bay Packers. Hmm. I struggled with this one. Because a lot of the Packers additions were multiple wide receivers in the draft, multiple tight ends in the draft, right? It was a lot of doubling up of positions, not a ton of splash plays. What am I missing here for the Packers? Long snapper, Matt Orzech. That's a good one. Without a long snapper, you can't kick. You literally cannot kick a field goal. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of scoring. It's the most important. Yeah, that's a lot of threes, potential threes (laughs) off the board. Right. We're talking 120 points potentially here. Statistically, that's that's one of the most important point moves that's been made in the offseason. Every long snapper move, it's kind of like ownership, mm-hmm. right? Who's who's you know this is more important than the owner? In you general. never notice it until you don't have one, and then all of a sudden, no, we can't kick. That's good. No long snapper. Who? What's his name again? Matt something. Orzich. Yeah. Well, that's that's the answer then for the Packers. Yeah. So I guess I, I guess I'm going to go with Lucas Van Ness. I, it's got to be one of the pass catchers, I think. Luke Musgrave, probably, you know, the favorite, I guess, to be the higher volume guy from the list of receivers that they drafted. I was, I was thinking Jaden Reed, yeah. second, second round receiver. But, like, again, they, they did their very Packers, uh, Packers-ish hedge. Right. right. So it wasn't just Luke Musgrave. It was also Tucker Craft at tight end. It wasn't just Jaden Reed. They you know, drafted they five up pass catchers. Yes. Now, none of them were before pick number 42, but they drafted five. But, it, you know, let's say the top pass, their top receiver, Jaden Reed or Luke Musgrave, either one of those guys, because, yeah, I mean, Musgrave's probably a good one, right? Because you're, you're going to rely on him. He's most likely to be right. the relied upon pass catching tight end. All right, let's go Luke Musgrave. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Explain. Explain? Well, they don't have a tight end otherwise, and they need one. Yeah, Musgrave, an interesting prospect who was not, did not grade very well, did, was not very productive in 2021, had two good games in 2022, looked like he was going to have a breakout season, then gets hurt. And he's a little clunky in and out of his routes, but, you know, tight ends can get away with that stuff sometimes. It, 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 it keeps you from being the next Mark Andrews. I won't use Kelsey all the time. It keeps you from being the next Mark Andrews, but you can still be an effective seam route runner. Musgrave's athletic with a good catch radius and all that. So I think he could be potentially a good player. But choosing one solitary player for the Packers is a challenge for this exercise. Yeah. 
It's yeah. I mean, even with the the pass catchers, it's like whichever one ends up being the highest volume target for them. You know, one of them will be presumably, uh, and that guy will be the most important addition. But for for these purposes, it's like pick your favorite or pick the one you think is most likely, which is probably the highest draft pick. Yeah, very good tweet here. Phenomenal uh, teach tape for uh, for linebacker play. If you're interested in more of this Green Bay draft analysis, go back to our. AFC North draft review. We get into a little bit of the history of the Packers doubling up at positions and all that fun stuff. It's You're over. probably going to want the NFC North rather than the AFC NFC North. North. Listen, just you know, I'm tired. Well, that's good. I'm tired. Got a while to go today. Playing through it. We're playing through it. Uh, Detroit Lions, most important offseason addition for the Lions. Do you have one ready to go? Another one where it's like. I like a lot of the stuff that they did, but yeah. choosing one was a challenge. Right. They, their sort of offseason, particularly the free agency portion of it, was good more because of the strategy than the individual, like an individual player. So it was the fact that they blanketed the secondary and brought in three players that should or could yeah. all start um, day one that was the plus not that like Cameron Sutton on his own is amazing that's what I, I chose Cameron Sutton because for this exercise we we need you one to pick somebody yeah yeah so I took I took Sutton because of his versatility could play outside can play in the slot because he's very good and he was probably the best of their offseason additions but again like if Emmanuel Mosley had a really good season coming off of in- injury or Brian Branch broke out as the top nickel as a second rounder or Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was the best offseason addition. None of those would be surprising. But I'll, yeah. take, I'll take Cam Sutton as any the guy of their, for the Any of their draft picks. I mean, in terms of if you want importance, Jameer Gibbs is now a very important draft pick because that was the one most roundly criticized. So for the sort of reputational integrity of everybody in Detroit, if he bombs, that would be very bad. It wouldn't even matter if, like, the rest of the draft ended up doing really well. If Jameer Gibbs is not good and is just like a fast guy that doesn't really do a whole lot in offense, they look like idiots because they Fair took point, yeah. 12 overall. So that's a really important draft pick for them. Equally, Hendon Hooker in the third round is a really important draft pick for them because if he has – like the first round upside that people were trying to talk about before the draft, they might have Jared Goff's replacement already. Could be a steal. Yeah, the, the Gibbs one's interesting because as much as we push back against running backs, it's not that an individual running back in the right situation can't be important or valuable, right? I think Christian McCaffrey is important and valuable. I think Dalvin Cook, who's now a free agent at his best, was an impact player. Derrick Henry was an impact player. The problem is at any given point, there's three or four of them and projecting which one it's going to be and then projecting when they're going to drop off and get hurt and no longer be is the, is the tough one for running backs. If Gibbs becomes one of those top five most impactful running backs and he truly is this offensive weapon that lines up outside and in the slot and with all the other speed and shiftiness that, they've, that they have now on this offense, if Gibbs becomes that perfect satellite space player, yeah, then that's – that's an important offseason addition. If if the Lions got Jameer Gibbs and he is who they think he is. We, and if he's not, then yeah, it's like you said, it makes them look really bad picking him at 12. Yeah, we had a very smart email uh, at one point. Somebody that had um, somebody that had gone through Eric Eager's white paper that you referenced. And having gone through it, was very surprised by some of the numbers in there and like how 
not complimentary to running backs they were, but how close running backs were to a lot of other positions in terms of war and all that kind of thing. Because, um, you know, if you look last season, Christian McCaffrey had the highest war of any running back at .33, which is a pretty high number. Um, the, the, yeah, I mean, the answer to that is it's about the distribution, not the peak. It's, that's one answer to it. The other answer is it's, I think, for running backs, it is hyper-dependent on everything else around them. So the best example of that is Jonathan Taylor, right, who last season had a negative war after being the, you know, the, the best running back in the NFL the year before when the offensive line was good, when everything was cooking, and Jonathan Taylor looked like the next Derrick Henry, looked like the next dominant force at running back and was absolutely uh, elite, and he was the best running back in the league in terms of PFF war, and then that plummeted to a negative rating, not because Jonathan Taylor became a bad player overnight, because the offensive line fell to rack and ruin, the offense itself stopped functioning, the quarterback was garbage, and the same running back in a completely different environment falls off a cliff. So it's how dependent the running back is and how dependent his production and therefore value is on a bunch of other things. Whereas, generally speaking, an offensive tackle, Trent Williams, in any system, in any offense, is going to look really, really good. Yeah, and then the distribution thing that I said, there's not a whole lot. Like, there's, it's almost impossible for a starting running back to have negative war. It is possible, uh, which I, you, you just mentioned Taylor, but mm. that is rare. Right. It is much more common for, say, a starting tackle or an edge defender to have pretty low negative war. So the distribution for an edge defender or an offensive tackle is really, really wide. So when you get that guy that's .3, which is a good number, it's, it's, it's more important. It's more valuable because the running back distribution's a lot tighter. All right, we're on to the Dallas Cowboys. I've been raving about the two moves this offseason, Brandon Cooks and mm -hmm. Stephon Gilmore. It's a 1A and 1B for me. I'll go Brandon Cooks, though. As the offseason edition, deep threat, already caught a 60-yarder at OTAs. What? I, mean, I eat all the hype. Yeah. Eat it all up here in June. Love it. Already caught a 60-yarder. Already caught it. It's in like, OTAs. Yeah. What? It's a pretty big caveat, you know. Pre-training camp hype. I'll eat it all up, man. Yeah. And then I'll uh, eat it up again in July. Anyway, Brandon Cooks as a deep threat to open things up. For C.D. Lamb, for the young tight ends in Dallas. Going Brandon Cooks is the biggest offseason addition here for the Cowboys. Yeah, I think it probably is. You could make an argument for Stephon Gilmore, similar idea on the defensive side. But because Brandon Cooks has the impact and not just help, you know, the receiving core, C.D. Lamb, his own production, the impact he can have on Dak Prescott. Like, that's the big thing that puts it over the top. We know that the better you make the environment around Dak Prescott, the better he performs, and it's almost like a force multiplier for him relative to other quarterbacks. So the more you can do to make that situation around him amazing, the better version of him you're going to get. And the best version of Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback. So, And, and Dallas needs that if they're going to contend for a Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, like I said, Gilmore, if you chose Stephon Gilmore, I'm fine with that as well. Him playing... Uh, in his early 30s, still playing well, maybe not the best corner in the NFL like he was for a three-year stretch with New England, but still very good, opposite Trevon, uh, Trevon Diggs. That works as well, mm -hmm. but uh, Brandon Cook's the guy, I'd say, in Dallas. Uh, Chicago Bears, most important offseason addition. I mean, it's got to be DJ Moore coming in. Darnell Wright as their first-round pick at number nine overall. I considered him just because I think when you, when you hit on tackle – it's pretty important, even though I've got my doubts about right. 
but it's got to be DJ Moore. The Bears getting a starting top 20-ish type of receiver for the, in the trade for the number one overall pick. I mean, the most important offseason addition was the Texans' two-point conversion, <laughs> giving them the number one pick so they get DJ Moore and manipulate the draft the way they did. So uh, maybe it was next year's first rounder for the yeah, Bears. That could you, be as well. You could say, given the, you know, a little hedge against Justin Fields not developing or, you know, at worst, just, hey, it's another first-round pick from the Panthers. You know, so uh, a lot of good things, I'd say, for the Bears. I think if I have to pick something, I'll go DJ Moore at receiver. Yeah, it's definitely some part of that trade. Um, I would agree it's probably DJ Moore because he is that elite receiver that wasn't really available on the open market, even if they'd, you know, just move down for a trade haul. And, like, we were talking about would they add Jackson Smith and Jigba? They could have the first wide receiver off the board, you know, in the, in the top 10 or wherever. Like, the difference between and Jackson Smith and Jigba could be really good but the chances are he's not going to be as good as DJ Moore just because that's quite a like he's already a really good receiver like the range of outcomes for any young rookie receiver to be as good as DJ Moore is pretty small so getting that guarantee of being able to have DJ Moore and still get next year's first etc an absolute steal like an incredible part of that trade but definitely the first round pick for next year is really important because if Justin Fields doesn't take that big step forward, you need that kind of flexibility to try and make something else happen. And then the only other player I think you could make a real argument for is Darnell Wright, who is going to get plugged into that offensive line and, and hopefully make a difference. Uh, what's next here? Carolina Panthers, the team that the Bears traded with, has to be Bryce Young unless you want to play the game with uh, head coach Frank Reich being the no, more important addition. It's got to be Young over Frank Reich, right? I mean – Reich is a really good head coach. Adding him is important, but Bryce Young is the new franchise. Like the franchise is going to go how Bryce Young goes. So whether or not they got that right is going to determine the entire franchise's future, including Frank Reich. Yeah, I mean it's it's Bryce Young. If he's the guy, he's the guy that we would have chosen. Not only that, you, you, you traded up to go get him. Yes. To go get him. He's got to be the guy. I mean, this is, this is an obvious one in Carolina. Also, it's okay if he's not great right away. I mean, this is a, it's a multi-year thing. We've seen, we've seen quarterbacks not be great in year one and then figure it out in year two. I think, you know, whatever, whatever's best for Bryce Young's development. But he's got to be Well, they started guy. off. They started off talking about how Andy Dalton was the starter, you know? We brought him in for a reason. He's going to be starting this season. And then they've already given Bryce Young the job, or at least the number one reps. Which yeah, is basically as he should. The job. Which I think makes – that one makes sense. I think when they did it with Justin Fields, it also made sense to let Dalton play a little bit longer. I mean, it just – it's always – they're always going to say that. <laughs> Anytime – if it's May or June and they're talking about the veteran guy being the starter versus a young player that just got taken, ignore it. It's irrelevant. They are all going to say that. And then the distribution that. curve as to when these, these starting changes happen is up for debate. It like Bryce Young, it looks like it's already happened. It's not even mid-June. Somebody um, send me a GM, consultant GM question about uh, who you start in your veteran or your rookie. I'm talking veteran, baby. Like people, that dude, is a, he's a professional. Yeah. He's great in the meeting room. He's our starter. People are projecting, you know, they're doing the models and the fantasy projections and all those kinds of things, and they're projecting Anthony Richardson to only start, you know, nine games or whatever. I would bet money on Anthony Richardson starting week one. 
It's not going to happen no, yet. They're not going to make that determination. They're not going to make that announcement. But I, he'll start week one. Like, they're just not going to do that yet. So ignore any quarterback starting conversation that's taking place in May and June. All right, we're on to the two more teams here in the NFC. The Atlanta Falcons, most important offseason addition. They made a bunch. I'm going to go Jesse Bates at safety Jesse just because they spent Bates. the most money for him. Is there any other player in isolation that makes sense for the Falcons? Yeah. Bijan? Right. Bijan. Most important offseason addition. I mean, similar idea to similar idea in a way to Jameer Gibbs, but with the added layer of I mean, Bijan is theoretically special in a way Gibbs isn't. You know, Gibbs is quite similar to a lot of running backs that have come into the NFL over the last several years. And okay, he might be a, a better version of them, but we've seen that kind of thing before. Uh, Bijan Robinson might be the best running back to come into the league since Adrian Peterson, which was 2007. Um, and by the way, he is a more, he's a better tailored running back to the modern NFL than Adrian Peterson was, who remember the had for the majority of Adrian Peterson's career, he basically didn't play on third downs because he couldn't pass block and he wasn't really good at catching the ball, which are two pretty important parts of the game. So the, the best player on the Minnesota Vikings wasn't playing in like two minute drills because he was useless at any of the things they needed him to do in two minute drill situations. If Bijan Robinson can be on the field anytime they need him and goes into an offense that's already dominating on the ground um, and wants to run the ball more than anybody else, they called run more than they called pass last season, the only NFL team to do so. I mean, it's if nothing else, it's important for the kind of case study of how high can you take a running back and still have it make sense. As I've said before, I think the Falcons are going to be better this year regardless of Bijan, but he's going to get the carries. He's going to be in a favorable running system, and he's really good. If Bijan did rank top five in PFF war at the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised. And we've, we've seen other highly drafted running backs. Leonard Fournette in 2017 goes number four overall, and the Jags go to the AFC Championship. I mean, that year it was like, well, there you go. Fournette was the missing piece. We needed that 3.9 yards per carry on the way to the AFC Championship. That's why the Jags were good. We saw Zeke Elliott. People thought he was the guy that transformed the 2016 Cowboys. Well, they were terrible in 2015. The other confounding variables there, Sam, was Matt Castle was starting games for the 2015 Cowboys. Tony Romo got hurt. They were working with backups that entire season. And, oh, by the way, Dak Prescott was the fourth rounder the same year Zeke gets drafted. He has one of the best rookie quarterback seasons of all time. But it was easy at the end of those seasons to say, Zeke, catalyst, as a rookie for the Cowboys. Leonard Fournette, catalyst for the Jags on their way to the AFC Championship. If at the end of this season, the Falcons win 10 games or something, and Bijan's going to be called the catalyst here, and it's probably not going to be true, but he's also probably going to be really good. He'll be a part of the whole here. So regardless, I think it makes sense to maybe put Bijan there. I'll say the actual impact on the field, though, would be Jesse Bates at a position like safety where you know, Jesse Bates has had some high-impact plays through, throughout his career. He's been inconsistent, though. If you get high-end Jesse Bates, he's going to help that defense a ton compared to, uh, in addition to all the other places that they've improved. It all comes down to how special you think B. John Robinson is. Um, you know, because Derrick Henry was special enough that it, it breaks the rules of all the running back stuff. Like, all the things we were talking about, but you mentioned the idea of, like, which was actually the catalyst. And... 
you know, Ryan Tannehill comes in, and all of a sudden that's when Derrick Henry goes to the moon, right? And but then, so clearly the implication of that was well, actually Tannehill was the catalyst, and that's what made Derrick Henry's production go crazy. But you can kind of construct the case that given how that whole dynamic has worked since the two of them have been there. Maybe Derrick Henry was always sort of setting the stage for that to happen, and he just needed viable quarterback play for that to happen. Like, it didn't, it wasn't that Tannehill was really good, and that was what the, the really good offensive play from Tannehill in the passing game was what allowed Derrick Henry to go crazy. It's like Derrick Henry was just being dragged back by how bad Marcus Mariota was. And as soon as anything north of that came in, Derrick Henry becomes a 2,000 yard rusher and looks like King Henry and the best running back we've seen. Like, if Bijan is in that kind of category, which was what you're kind of arguing when you say you can take a running back in the top 10 now, if he's that guy, then that's hugely important, not just for Atlanta, but also for this whole referendum on running back value. All right, let's wrap it up with the Arizona Cardinals. They usually kick off the shows here, Sam, but the Cardinals are last reverse alphabetical order for the NFC. Most important addition... This offseason for the Arizona Cardinals, you had head coach Jonathan Gannon. Or you could also play that fun game, and much like I said, hey, Caleb Williams is reason for optimism. Maybe it's just getting the Houston Texans next first rounder, next year's first rounder for the Houston Texans. Is that the best offseason addition for the Cardinals who are pretty much, whether they want to or not, punting on this season? When did um, Monty Austinfort, the general manager, come in? Does he count? Or was this? Yeah, this is his yeah. first year. Yeah. Then him. He is the most important addition. When you look at their moves this offseason, so the Arizona Cardinals are in an absolute mess right now. We ranked the rosters, the terrible roster. It's amazing how quickly this thing has fallen to pieces. But when you watch how they've maneuvered, how they've played this offseason, it speaks to a level of competence that is, I think, significantly greater than it's been in the last several years. And did you watch any of those videos of... The Cardinals' draft room, the Austin Ford at work essentially trading. I saw the tweet that was talking about the the trade where he had like five options on the table and they were mm. maneuvering those and everything, yeah. So the whole thing just sort of looked smart, looked in hand, looked together. And when, you know, we praised their draft given what they did, given the maneuvering they did. Um, there was an interesting bit, by the way, when they were phoning the Texans and making the deal. I, I, I kind of assumed that they must have had this already – like the framework already set out and they when they're like when you're live you're just sort of checking back in and like double you know like you're like just to be clear and you know running through it all right but when he talked about a first rounder next year in the clip he never specified which pick he just said and the first next year you know but Houston owns two different things next year and they gave up the one that's probably going to be higher now was that specified beforehand, or did it was probably did specified. Casario just go? All right, let's send him our first. No, no, you don't. No, don't. No. First off, the Texans are probably confident that theirs is better than the Browns' pick well, because they they're, are, they're just... confident. I mean, that's just what teams do. First, okay, of but all. that's bad. And second, it wasn't just like ah, take any first round pick. As much as I would criticize the Texans for their actual trade and what they gave up and all that stuff yeah it was like you're talking about a social media clip even and I'm, you might right, be right that media, monty and, and crew had it all together clip. but you're still being you're still being influenced by like a two-minute social media clip of how he was running but the clip was the draft the, room but the clip was that conversation in 
in, in totality. Like it was that phone call. It was like a 30 second phone call of which all of it was on the yeah, clip. They, they, they had already discussed it. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying if the logic is, oh, we thought our pick was going to be better. That's stupid. Now that logic. Won't. So the logic of Houston giving up their pick versus the Browns first round pick that whether it's predetermined or not, if Houston's sitting there in their room saying, do we give up our pick or the Browns pick? Yeah, you could, within a building, you could make the case that you're, ah, we're going to be, we think we're going to be better than the Browns. I mean, you can make that to- case, but like surely you have to judge, you have to look at something third party to value that because you're always going to think your thing is better because you think you suck less than everybody else thinks you suck by definition. Like, that's an, that's an insane way of doing business. You have to have some. But there's like a messaging there third. and everything, right? You're in, you're you're Nick Casario in year three, and you're talking to every, you know all your your employees, and you're like, yeah, we're going to give up our pick. I'm sorry, we're going to give up the Browns pick because absolutely they're going to be better than us next year. You don't care about messaging. You're just like, we got the best deal we could. Shut it matters. Up. It matters. No, it does. It matters a hell of a lot less than like taking the better pick every time. If we're going to talk about, look, I'm, we're not going to spend an hour on this. If we're going to talk about GMs saving their job and everything and how they – of all the things where I think they could send the worst messages when they're sitting with two first-round picks, the GM is in year three, and you go to ownership and say, yeah, we're going to give up our pick. Uh, we're going to give up the Browns pick because they're going to be better than us next year. I mean, if they are going to be better than you, you give up your pick. Or you could also pick, convince rather. yourself to Sean Watson graded in the 50s last year. We had a better quarterback with Davis Mills. Yeah. You could also play that game. You could. but you Anyway, could. Arizona, I'd say next year's first rounder. You said Monty, Jonathan Gannon, all of those are good answers. They're also long-term answers for Arizona. I think that's the answer. Vegas right now Browns. has the over-under three more for the uh, Browns than the Texans. That's fine. But you're, you're Mr. Touchy-Feely in the draft room and in meeting rooms and all that stuff. That it, it doesn't get any more touchy-feely than that one. I wouldn't give a rat's ass that that upset people. I would take the better deal every time. So I'd also say no. The snippet that you saw was not just them throwing any old first-rounder at it. Okay. Maybe I'm overrating the people that do this, but they put a lot of time and effort into this. Some of them certainly do. Yeah. Are we good? Mm-hmm. There's your NFC. I, I wanted to touch on one thing on our way out here. Chase Young, trade rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see Steelers fans really excited. The Steelers might be interested. Uh, CBSSports.com has a, a list of some some top landing spots. Do you have any good Chase Young landing spots? I'll read what this particular article says on CBS Sports. Bears, Lions, Seahawks, Steelers, 49ers, Patriots, and Colts. If the 49ers got Chase Young yeah. along with Nick Bosa when we were always you know pairing those guys, getting those guys back together, the Ohio State tandem, that would be potentially crazy. Mm-hmm. Bears make a lot of sense. They you know, didn't do a ton. I mean, they did. They, they addressed the defensive line in the draft. We didn't love how they addressed it. Um, an edge rusher is still a big need for them, so it would certainly make sense. The Bears would be the kind of move where you'd be like, maybe they would do it you know, six games into the season before the deadline where they're, like, actually certain the things are moving in the right direction, but they could still clearly have a hole at edge rusher, whereas a team like San Francisco would do it tomorrow just to add a player like that. I feel like the Bears would do it right now because they still have a ton of money to spend over the next couple of years. They don't have impact players up front, and 
it'd be a little bit of a risk the way Chase Young looked coming off the injury last year. It was not as explosive. But Washington did a really great job telling everybody, Chase Young's looking great at OTAs. Mm. He's explosive. He's back. He's a starter. He's our starter. The Washington's done a great job of telling everybody, Chase Young is back, baby. Give us a call. Call us right now. Come get the former second overall pick of which we did not we did not pick up his fifth-year option. We're not locked into him long-term. But the Bears, if you have a healthy Chase Young, the Bears of all the teams on this list are most likely to trade and be like, you're our guy for the next four or five years. Because we, the Bears didn't have the opportunity to get a high-impact player like a Chase Young could be. I think the Bears would be a great fit there. But um, Pittsburgh's interesting that they're in the mix there because they've they already have T.J. Watt on one side as well as Alex Highsmith, but Alex Highsmith's ready to get paid. Flip Chase Young in there and pay him instead. Uh, there could be a huge impact in Pittsburgh. They also have more money to spend with Kenny Pickett being in his you know first-year deal. That's the same spot the Niners are in, right? The Niners are paying no, no quarterback. They're not paying money for the quarterback position. They have the opportunity to, uh, to make an impact there. So I like the Bears, though, because I feel like they would potentially get an impact long-term player on the defensive line when they, when they did all this other stuff and they had to kind of push that move aside. This, this could be a chance to, to catch up there on the D-line. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. Let us know. Where do you think Chase Young should be going? All right. That's it for NFC Biggest Offseason Editions. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back again on Wednesday. Maybe we're going to do it right now. But on Wednesday, you're going to see the biggest offseason edition for every AFC team, probably in reverse alphabetical order as well. And uh, later today, it's rugby day. We're recording this. I got my jersey ready to go. Got the uh, the Scully. Scrum cap. Scrum cap. Yeah. Ready to go. We got balls. Certainly do. Figurative and literal. Certainly do. Go rugby. And we got a field. Do I sound tired? The good people at... Uh, Don's saying go get some sleep. Yeah. Good people at UC. Are giving Slept us about seven hours this week. Stadium. Do I sound like I slept seven hours this weekend? I don't know. I feel like I brought it well enough. You don't need to justify yourself to me. It's the, the people. Man, sorry. Sorry, I don't... Hope I hope I came through for our listeners and viewers. All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Wednesday.